strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. down at Margie's Bar, telling stories if we had one. Someone fired the old jukebox up, the song it sure was a sad one. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. Did the Phoenix Police Department thwart or stop a mass shooting? Now, this had to be a difficult decision for a parent, um, but uh, there was a uh, a 911 call went out that um, there was a, a young man that had left his home carrying a lot of guns. And in this 911 call, uh, it was a parent, I believe, that reported that their child had left, had, had some issues going on. And the officers approached. It was near uh, 29th Avenue and Green, Greenway Road. Suspect was armed, and they ended up uh, shooting the suspect. Uh, he, he survived. They took him to the, to the hospital. But when they found him inside the convenience store, um, he had multiple weapons and magazines with him. And the Phoenix Police Department acted. Now, there's a couple of things here. Number one is we heard after what happened in Uvalde, which is going to haunt law enforcement, I think, as a whole for a long time, but especially that police department in Uvalde, Texas. Um, How many mistakes were made there? What was going on? We may never know all of those answers. But we were reassured by the sheriff of Maricopa County, by the police chief in Phoenix, Arizona, by other law enforcement professionals that have said, hey, listen, this is not that place. That is not what we do. And we we and I know from talking from leaders in law enforcement with leaders from law enforcement that they have reiterated to their deputies and to their officers and to their troopers that. This is not what the proper response will be. If there is an armed suspect or an active shooter situation, officer safety, especially at a school, officer safety goes by the wayside. You engage and neutralize the threat. In this case, you had a suspect walking into a convenience store loaded with people with with guns on them, reports of how disturbed he was, not obeying commands, and was taken down by law enforcement with gunfire. Um, fortunately for him, he survived. Uh, it took him to the hospital. But we start there today because – an appropriate response is what everybody wants. And there's going to be arguments, there always is, about whether or not it's an appropriate response. I would say to you, I don't know what you or I would do. We're not trained. They are. But in a human, as a human being, there are a couple of instincts that are common to most of us. One is self-preservation. And the other is preservation of innocent life, that we all would look to save a child or save someone from a burning car or a burning building, that we would do what we could to help somebody else if they were in a life-threatening situation. And this, after watching the video, certainly is or was a life-threatening situation. But I I was pulling – there are so many stories today related to crime. Uh, New York's new gun law blocked by a federal judge. The ruling said there was little historical precedent that the state efforts to ban concealed weapons in a list of places it deems sensitive. So once again, we are are focused on the weapon instead of focusing on the person with the weapon. There was a guy armed to the teeth – Going into a convenience store whose family members had said he had some issues going on. And I don't know exactly what those issues are, but that he was there were things happening. And it's in the 911 call. And you also had police officers, good guys with guns that were armed to the teeth and stopped the situation before innocent people were injured or killed. Look what happened in Las Vegas on the strip. 
It was a knife attack. It was an unsolicited, unprovoked, I shouldn't say unsolicited, unprovoked um, attack. A couple of people died, many other injured in a knife attack on the Strip. Um, The anti-police sentiment in Portland, Oregon continues. Vandals smash up a minority-owned Portland cafe that planned a coffee with a cop event. Um, You know, this is the – I think this is why I've become and I I will continue to be so much more pro-law enforcement as time goes on because I think they are misunderstood. Sometimes um, because of their own – the way they band together, the way they are a closed off society, but I think by necessity. But the police officers feel it's an us against them, us against the world mentality sometimes when you start hearing people second guessing them when the general public has no idea how stressful the job is, how you are making life and death decisions in split second time and you're doing the best you can. And if they make a mistake or and there are times when they commit crimes, let's be honest, we know there are bad people that have been police officers. But when you look at the split second decisions they have to make, you, you think about this. You are a police officer. You're not someone that calls the police and hopes somebody does the right thing. You're the person that's called to do the right thing. This person is walking around armed to the teeth, multiple firearms, magazines. He's walking around. He's walking toward the door of an occupied convenience store with customers and someone working behind the counter inside. You can see all this through the window. And as the guy is crossing the parking lot, you are commanding this person, put down the gun, get on the ground, get on the ground, get on the ground. He's ignoring your commands and storming into walking pretty, I would say walking aggressively, but he is walking pretty quickly into this convenience store. What do you do? I mean, what do you do? Because if you don't pull the trigger and this guy opens fire and starts killing innocent people, you've got another Uvalde on your hands. This guy was armed to the teeth and not obeying a lawful command from a law enforcement officer. But the stress in that split second that's put on an officer is just the tip of the iceberg. How they face life-threatening decisions every single day. And we look, we watch what they do, and then we second-guess later. Now, I'm not saying there's not accountability. There should absolutely be accountability. When you have to use lethal force, when you have to use a firearm to defend yourself or to stop a suspect, there's going to be oversight. But the, the initial response from people that second-guess, that watch a video or hear something, and there's nothing wrong with this video. In my mind, this should be a training video. These officers did exactly what they were supposed to do, and the innocent people People were saved in that building from this at what could have happened next. But when we watch all these people that second guess or despise the police and then they get a political voice, that's the problem. They always exist. There are people that have just hate in their heart for certain groups of people, whether it's a religion or it's sexual orientation or color of skin or gender or whatever. They just have hate in their heart. But when you watch um, – Those people then become the political influencers, and it's happened in Portland, it's happened in Seattle, it's happened in Minneapolis, it's happened in cities across this country where their anti-police rhetoric led to the uh, dismantling or at least the defunding in part of police departments. You look at that and you think, how in the world do those people get that kind of a voice? Because now what we're seeing is um, people around this country saying, wait a minute, we, we, we may have made a mistake here. We may need to realize that crime has gone up so much all over the country, and it's partially because we've defunded the police and we've demonized the police. Now the police feel like they have the target on their back. They are no longer the good guys with guns. They're the bad guys with guns. 
And that sentiment has to change. And the only way it changes is if we understand and we listen and we and I hope you get to meet some of them. I've had the pleasure of getting to know a lot of people in law enforcement and uh, they're good people and they're doing a very difficult job. And right now they feel as if the world's against them because they don't feel like they can do the right thing at all. So they just do the best they can. What we're going to do in a moment is uh, we're going to talk about the oil crisis that's happening because of OPEC and what the White House is or could be doing about it. We'll talk about that coming up in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks so much. Appreciate you being here. Uh, Happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. So the Biden administration uh, was uh, asked, has been asked about what they are going to do in response to the um, the uh, OPEC nations, the Saudis as well. all All of these nations scaling back on production of oil. President Joe Biden has no intention of stopping arms dealing to Saudi Arabia, despite the decision by OPEC to cut oil supply. So it has been a bone of contention with a lot of people in the U.S., especially after 9-11 with a lot of a lot of these people that were involved in the in the planning, but also in the carrying out of the 9-11 attacks were from Saudi Arabia, that these were Saudis. Um, we also know that we we deal in arms with the Saudi Arabians. And so what is the White House going to do? And that, to me, is one of the bigger, um, the bigger questions. Associate press reporter Matt Lee referenced calls to lawmakers to stop weapons sales to Saudi Arabia. And, and asked this uh, spokesperson, uh, Vendat Patel, on Thursday about this. He said, we have no plans to do that at the moment, to withdraw arms, as you so indicated in your question. What I would reiterate, and you saw Secretary Blinken speak to this as uh, this on his travels, is that we have a multiplicity of interests with regards to Saudi Arabia. Uh, he followed up, uh, the reporter followed up by asking if that meant the idea of stopping arms sales was a non-starter. He said, I simply, we have no plans to, to take such action. We are in a position of weakness, and it's not... Not just um, you, you have to look at diplomacy. This is part of the foreign policy stuff we've talked about all the time um, is that you have to have a plan in place for how you handle diplomacy. There's good and bad in everyone, and everybody's foreign policy is not necessarily 100% good. But when we look at what's going on right now, um, is there a perception of weakness in the U.S.? And so from my perspective, I would say yes, but again, maybe it's tied up in my politics. I don't agree with the Biden administration on much. But we have to be a lot more firm in our stance on things. And uh, I'll give you an example. I know that this administration has been compared many times to the Carter administration for many different reasons, but let me give you an illustration right now. And it may be an oversimplified one, but it's one that's fairly accurate in this. During the Carter administration, going back to the 1970s, when the Shah of Iran was deposed, and the American government had a good rapport, whether good, bad, or indifferent, we had a relationship with the Shah of Iran. We had even agreed in an arms deal for the Iranian people. 
And in the 1970s, the Shah was deposed and the Ayatollahs came in and it became a theocracy. And the Ayatollahs now are the supreme law of the land. And when that happened, they took American hostages for over a year. There were hostages that were taken in Iran during the Carter administration. And I don't believe, nor do most Americans believe, that it was a coincidence that when Ronald Reagan took office, on the day Ronald Reagan took office, uh, those hostages were released. That there was there was clear communication of how things would be handled differently with a different administration. And uh, when you deal with people, and I, I will tell you that I don't believe that the Iranian people are the enemies of the United States, but I will tell you that the theocracy that runs Iran is the the, the theocracy uh, in in Iran, the ayatollahs that run that with a with a steel fist in that country, their oppression and the murder of women because they dress inappropriately and all of those things that happen in that country. The people of Iran, many of them are protesting in the streets and losing their lives or being imprisoned because they dare say they want more of a Western lifestyle. Those religious leaders believe that the Western lifestyle is an evil lifestyle, which is part of the reason why they have sworn, A, to take out Israel. It's part of their constitution that they will destroy the Zionist state and anyone that supports them, especially us because we're their closest ally. They hate us. In short, they hate us. And when you are dealing with someone that is a bully in that mentality, as simple as that sounds, when you are dealing with someone that is so bent on oppressing you through violence and the threat of violence, that if you do this, this is going to happen to you. You either stand up to them or you cave. And I, I truly believe, and most Americans that were around in that generation and that era understand the same thing, that the Reagan administration, he did it throughout his time as president, what he did with not just with the Iranians, but what he did with the Soviet Union and standing up to Mikhail Gorbachev, sticking his finger in his face and saying, let me tell you why we distrust you, getting up, walking out of meetings, uh, telling them that you can't beat us in an arms race. There were people in our country that believed that Ronald Reagan was going to get us into World War Three, that he shouldn't be near the nuclear codes. That sounds like a common theme from people when you have someone that stands up and says, we're not going to take that. We're America. We will beat you economically. If we have to, we'll beat you militarily. That's not what we want. Stand down and knock it off. And when the, when the, when the Iranians were faced, and like all bullies are, by someone that's going to fight back, they quit. Now, the world is a different place now. There are different alliances. But when you have people that are saying that they understand what's happening in the world, OPEC understands what's happening in the world. They understand that the United States is facing huge inflation. A lot of it is attributed to fuel costs. And the same thing is happening in Europe and other parts of the world. And instead of them continuing with prices the way they were and letting people catch up, still making money, still making a lot of money in the OPEC nations, they dramatically reduce production. So it raises the price of a barrel of oil and it further damages the economy of the U.S. and other places in the world, despite the protest of the Biden administration. So – if you are not going to be an oil producer, and the Biden administration certainly has shown themselves to not want to be that, that we do not want to be energy independent. We are going to go to Venezuela and ask them for oil. We're going to do other things, but we certainly aren't going to go. So we'll go as a leadership with our hat in our hand, and we'll ask the Venezuelan government 
which we'll talk about as well in the immigration part of the show. We will go with our hat in our hand and ask the Venezuelan government to please produce more oil for us. But they will not go with their hat in their hand and say the same thing to the U.S. oil companies. Doesn't make any sense to me, but that's what they're doing. And instead of having a plan in place of how do we respond, if you're going to raise prices on us and do this, there's going to be consequences. We have no idea what those consequences are. None. Coming up in a moment. Um, a man was arrested for trying to kill a, or for threatening to kill a member of the Maricopa County uh, Supervisory Board. We'll talk about that coming up in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Burnett Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. You dropped a bomb on me. What a great song. We had some great music in our generation, didn't we? Uh, thanks for being here this morning. Happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. Um, story about a, a supervisor in the County Board of Supervisors. This is a threat from a guy in Iowa. Now, this goes back to 2021, where a threat was made against Supervisor Clint Hickman. Now, his office is verified in the documents that were submitted, the public documents we have seen. Um, it does not identify who the victim is. And in, the, in this case, Clint Hickman, uh, Supervisor Hickman, is the one that has been uh, their office confirmed he was the subject of this threat. Uh, the Department of Justice released a partially redacted text on the voicemail. It says, Mr. Mr. Hello, Mr. Blank, which is Hickman. I am glad that you are standing up for the for democracy and want to place your hand on the Bible and say that the election was honest and fair. I really appreciate that. When we come to lynch your stupid lying commie, whatever, uh, you'll remember that you lied on the and you drops the f bomb Bible. <laughs> you piece of whatever. <laughs> You know, somehow, I, I don't know, maybe it's me and I'm tired on Friday, but I find some humor in the fact that uh, here is a, a Christian American that decides to not only quote the, or speak of the Bible, but preface it, use a word before the word Bible to describe it at, with effing Bible. Um, we're going to hang you. We are going to hang you. Um the supervisor said, I remember exactly where I was when I heard that voicemail. It was chilling. This wasn't a prank call. This wasn't protected speech. This was a serious threat to me and my family. So Mark Reese, a 64-year-old from Hiawatha, Iowa, was charged with two counts of making threatening interstate communications and one count of making a threatening telephone call, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. Um the DOJ also released a partially redacted text of the December voicemail. And uh, I got to tell you that um, I know Clint Hickman. I know his family, uh, some members of his family, I should say. I met his sister uh, and I think other members, but not all of them. And uh, I don't care what your politics are. I really don't. Um, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. This issue of election integrity is one that's a serious issue that we all should wrestle with. But Clint Hickman has been known as a very conservative Republican for a long time, and I'm speaking specifically to Republicans. Um, the fact that he didn't go down the road of the election being stolen, how do you throw out a guy's credentials for being a someone on your side of the aisle for such a long time? This is the part of our of who we are in, in the political world. How do you get so charged up over something that you have no sense of um, – 
I, I don't know if it's I guess reason is is where it goes. Um, a year before the election integrity question or less than a year it was within that time frame. And I don't remember the exact date. Uh, President Trump, when he was in office, visited um, the West Valley. And that's the area that Clinton Hickman represents in his in his district. And um, the president of the United States at the time called him out by name and thanked him for the hard work that he does. This is somebody that has was a Trump supporter, has been a Trump supporter, voted for President Trump twice. Um, I've had many conversations with him. His family are some of the kindest, most benevolent, philanthropic people in Arizona. They always have been. Uh, they've been accused of burning down their own barns and killing their own chickens in order to hide ballots and burn them up. Instead, they fed ballots. I want you to get this. Here's the theory. They fed the ballots to their chickens because they're egg farmers. There are farmers, but they are egg farmers. And they provide eggs all over Arizona, all over the southwestern United States and other parts of the country. They are a, a, a major farm in the West Valley. So here's the, here's the theory. They had ballots that were stolen whatever they, these ballots are, and an attempt for Clint Hickman to hide his crimes, his treasonous crimes, he fed those ballots to his chickens, and then he burned down his family farm. That's the accusation. That's the theory that's been floated out there. Now, many of you may ask, why wouldn't Mr. Hickman just burn the ballots and sacrifice, you know, burning the ch- or, or, or spare the chickens? Well, I don't know, but if you're going to make up a theory, it better be a, a pretty big one. Those kinds of conspiracy theories and online attacks are, are out of control and stupid. When you call somebody and leave them a message and say, we're coming to hang you, you're an idiot. You are just – you are beyond – and I will go even a step further. I've said before that I know people that believe the election was stolen. They firmly believe it. They believe it in their hearts that are good people, that are people that are um, – are very good people. They just disagree with me and I disagree with them about a stolen election. And so you can't lump election deniers with all of these people. They get the headlines. But at the same time, you look at what the rhetoric has done. It has not just been politically dividing, but we have people coming out of the woodwork. This guy is from Iowa. He's not even from Arizona. He, do, he doesn't know anything about what we do or how we do it in Arizona. He reads a bunch of stuff online, and then he goes to become a vigilante and starts making phone calls and putting out threats. There was another guy that's – I think those videos are hilarious. This guy that um, went online and said that he was coming to Arizona to effect a citizen's arrest – against Clint Hickman. Now, that's funny to me, except over 100 people showed up outside his house at one time. He's got neighbors. He's got a family that lives in that home. And because he said that the election wasn't stolen, that Maricopa County did it the right way, they wanted him. This guy said he was coming to Arizona to effect a citizen's arrest. It was hilarious. And I laughed and I thought, well, where is he going to take him? Facebook jail? Where do you take him? You know, the, the, the jail, can you imagine this guy shows up in his, in his pickup truck because I'm sure he drives one. Um, he's gonna, and so do I, by the way. But he drives an old pickup truck with uh, Clint Hickman in the back, uh, zip-tied together like a, like a deer that this guy took during hunting season. And he rolls up to the Maricopa County Jail, to one of them here in town. And, uh, and what do you think? Sheriff Penzone's going to take him in? They're going to lock him up? 
That to me is the the most hilarious thing I've ever heard of. And but what's not funny about it is how serious these allegations or how serious these words are. You you call somebody on the phone and you say we are going to hang you. You start using and referring to the Bible, cursing and saying you're going to hang somebody in the day and age we live in. I'm glad they got this guy. I'm, it's taken him over a year, but they finally got him and they put him in jail. And and I hope he gets convicted. And I hope that Mr. Hickman gets a chance to go and testify at his trial and look the guy in the face. And, uh, you know, I don't care where you are on the issue of election integrity or a stolen election in 2020. Doing this to fellow citizens, I don't care what political party, these are good people that disagree with you and you disagree with them. They're not disparaging you and they're not saying you need to be locked up or you need to be killed or you need to be hung. Nobody is saying that, not that I've heard at least. Nobody is that I know of is, is saying that the people that believe the election are stolen should be hung. And it's time we put down the we put down those that rhetoric and we just move forward and try to do the best we can. But this to me is ridiculous. In a moment, um, who won the Senate debate last night? A little bit more audio as we dive into what happened, what were the key moments, and how did each of the candidates do? We'll talk about it in just a couple of seconds. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. How valuable was the debate last night? Did people watch it? Are you going to go back and listen to parts of it? I want you to go to Arizona Votes, uh, KTAR.com slash Arizona Votes. It's a clearinghouse where you can learn more about candidates to be a more informed voter. How much can you learn from a debate? I think, you know, you can learn quite a bit. There's a lot of people. What's interesting about a debate, I think, is that most of the people, and I could be wrong, but most of the people that watch or listen to a debate are people that have already picked a side and are there to watch or listen to see how well their person does against the person they're against. Um, not a lot of people, and it's almost like a like sports, like a football game. Um, speaking of which, oof, which was more boring yesterday, the debate or that football game last night? 12 to 9. The Rockies score more points than the, than the Broncos. Right? Am I right? Did you hear what Al Michaels said? No. He I get he said it on the air, bless his heart. He said this game looks like the number five regional game on CBS. <laughs> Twelve to nine. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what a game. So which was which was harder to watch? The debate and and people that don't like politics think debates are boring. But I would I would say like a football game, unless you have a vested interest in one team or the other, there's not a lot of casual viewers unless it's a really big event. In politics, I think it's something that is so important that people ought to be a lot more engaged and say, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I'm seeing these TV commercials and I'm hearing these radio ads and this is happening, but I'm not sure. What do I what where do I go on this? What would that person get out of that debate? Because you know that everything else is choreographed. You know that there are people out there. And I want to give credit to something. Um, You know that uh, both uh, Carrie Lake and uh, Mark Fincham – uh, have gone on with Gatos and Chad. Didn't end well for any of the people involved in a lot of people's minds. But – they went on and they defended themselves and they stated their positions and they faced opposition and they did all of those things. Uh, Katie Hobbs and Mark Kelly have not been on this show. I don't yell. I don't scream. I don't do any of those things. And I'm fair to everybody. We have been ghosted 
by both campaigns. Um, now, I have done television interviews with Katie Hobbs. They went very well. She has given me a verbal face-to-face commitment to coming on this show. She gave me an email address of somebody that works for her um, to come to come on the show. We have emailed multiple times with no response. I don't think we've ever gotten a response from Mark Kelly's office. We may have, but I don't think we have. On radio or TV, Senator Kelly has decided that he doesn't. this is not the way he's going to engage. So the only way you are going to see an engagement where there's pushback is in a debate setting. How did the candidates fare yesterday? And it's it's a great question because people are getting very close to making a decision. We are seeing the numbers and the gap kind of close in some of these races. Nevada is a toss-up. Arizona has gotten a little more narrow. Now, whether or not Blake Masters can close the gap remains to be seen. How accurate are are those poll numbers moving toward Election Day? In the end, you know as well as I do, it's just like anything else, you need the win. It can be an ugly win, it can be a a huge win, but winning is what matters most. And, um, of course, abortion came up. We've talked about that earlier. Uh, when you talk about immigration, though, um, this is the one area, If I, if for Blake Masters, there's two areas that I think would be powerful for him to focus on. Number one would be the economy because of the way that Mark Kelly has voted in some of the recent recent times with the, um, with, uh, the Biden administration, the um, Inflation Reduction Act, and what we know it has nothing to do with inflation. It is a green energy bill. We understand that. I would go hard at that. The other part of it would be the border because Mark Kelly understands, he has to understand by watching Senator Cinema and how she has stood her ground on certain things that A, you are not going to be liked by your party if you go against what your party wants. And so you're going to have to be able to stand up and say this is the right thing to do. But if you say you've been on the border and on top of the border and focused on the border since day one, the question is with a 50-50 split in the Senate, your vote on any issue is more more important than ever. If you are going to cave in to this huge bill that spends all this money and hires 87,000 IRS agents. Now, if I'm Blake Masters, this is what I'm saying. And you're going to want to try to sell to the people of Arizona that you're a yes vote on this piece of legislation. Why wouldn't you, if you're so focused on the border, why wouldn't you go to the administration and say, I'm not giving you my yes vote on this until I see real changes at the border, until something is done. And if you're not going to make real change at the border, you are not getting my vote on this piece of legislation. Because either way, you win. If you're not a yes vote, most people are happy that you didn't do what you did with 87,000 IRS agents. And you're spending you know, a bill that's supposed to reduce inflation that every expert says has nothing to do with inflation. But what you're also doing, and like your television commercials say, is that you have gone against your party when you thought it was right for Arizona, especially when it comes to the border. And if you want to show people evidence of that, that's the way you have to do it. And I don't see that happening. And I don't think a lot of other people do. We have more sound from this as as the morning goes on if you miss some of the key points. But I think those were the key points. Abortion was a huge part of the debate. Uh, We may replay some of that coming up in just a little while as well. But coming up just after 10 o'clock, did the Phoenix Police Department stop a mass shooting? And how about the rise in crime across the country? You're not going to believe the details coming up.